0: So my question is, have you ever wanted a sign? Have you ever wanted a sign? Something to show you what to do, who to trust, how to make up your mind? When we look for a sign, we're looking for something to tell us what is true, what is right, okay, so that we can make a good decision. So, for instance, should I quit my job and take this more risky job? Maybe you look for a sign or should I invest all my money in this one guy who seems like a bit of a crack job but maybe I I need a sign to do that. We want a sign to tell us the truth and even though sometimes we choose less than reliable sources for that sign, like what I have to imagine was a weighted coin, there's no other way, right? But God has to be a reliable sign, don't you think? If you got a sign from God, I reckon that's some pretty good information to go off. And here in John, chapter 2, we see not just one, but two signs from God. And usually, we wait for the sign before we go do something crazy, but here in John, chapter 2, Jesus kind of acts a little bit crazy, and that is the sign. So, the question is, what is the sign pointing to? What is the sign pointing to? Today, I want to show you that God has given you a sign and that we need to respond to that sign appropriately. So before we jump into John 2, how about I pray for us? Father God, thank You so much for Your Word to us. Thank You that You have revealed Yourself to us in Your Son, Jesus, that He is the bridge between heaven and earth, that He is a God-man. I pray that today as we look at this account and the signs He does, that You would help us to not miss what the signs point to, give us spiritual eyes to see the truth and help us to respond appropriately. Amen. So, John chapter 2, there's two halves. In the first half of the chapter, there's this miracle at a wedding, right? And here, John is showing us something in particular. John is showing us that Jesus will bring the new age of abundance. So, Jesus is at this wedding, the wine runs out, That's really embarrassing for the groom who's meant to be supplying the wine. But Jesus is there, he comes to the rescue, he's a little bit reluctant, but he comes to the rescue and he takes water and turns it into wine. The guy in charge of the party, he's amazed, he goes up to the groom and says, hey groom, like usually people give the good wine first and then when everyone's had a bit too much and can't really tell, you give them the dodgy stuff. Why do you save the good stuff for now? Everyone's had too much, they're not going to be able to enjoy it properly. So, like, there's an important detail there that I think is easy for us to miss. Jesus supplied wine to a party that had already had too much. In fact, He didn't supply a little bit of wine, He supplied a whole lot. Three wine barrels worth, that's how much those jars add up to, three wine barrels worth of wine to a party that's already drunk. Why does Jesus give wine to drunks? That doesn't sound like a very Christian way for him to act, does it? Yeah, I didn't think so. Well, here we see something bigger is going on, something more amazing uh, than just turning water into wine and verse 11 gives you a hint. Uh, It's on the screen, Uh, read it along with me. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs. This was a sign, right? And Jesus pointing to something, he's pointing to something true, we have to work out what it is he's pointing to, okay? And the key to cracking this open is the jars, the six stone jars and there's three things we need to know about those jars. First, those jars are connected to religion, they were used for ceremonial washing, they're religious jars with a religious purpose and they're connected with Jewish law, Second, the jars are empty. Jesus had to go get the servants to fill them up. The jars were sitting there empty, unused. It's like Jesus is taking a stab at Jewish religion and saying, it's empty. It's barren. There's nothing good in there, especially the religion of the leaders of the Jews. Jesus is saying, that old, barren way won't get you anywhere. But He comes and brings something new. Which we can see in the third detail about the jars. So, they're huge. These jars are massive. Like I said, all six jars add up to about three barrels of wine and if you do your Google calculations, that's about 750 bottles of wine. That's a lot of wine. In fact, that's an overabundance of wine. That's like too much wine. This overabundance it represents something to the Jews. If they hear this story, if they were there and saw all this wine, something like clicks in their head and they remember that there's a promise, there's a promise in the Old Testament, a promise of a new age to come. And in this new age, God's king rules God's people and they all live in God's silly, silly, they all live in God's city, that's a little bit silly. And in God's city is an age of celebration. It's an age of celebration and that celebration is usually symbolised with truckloads of wine. Truckloads of wine symbolise this new age to come. Amos the prophet, he writes about this new age and the image he uses is a mountain with a river flowing down the mountain into the city, except the river's are not water, it's a river of wine. That's how bountiful the wine is. Imagine a river of wine. It's kind of like the adult version of the river of chocolate from Willy Wonka. It's wine, yeah? And this new age is completely characterised by an overabundance and celebration. No one living in God's kingdom will ever lack for anything. In fact, they'll have everything they could ever want. It's the age where there's only the best kind of foods. No more dry meat meatloafs, unless you really like meatloaf. Every home has at least one bathroom per person. I don't know if you have this problem, but we only have one bathroom, and I'd love a bathroom per person. Everyone has the latest phone, like Apple or Samsung or both, whatever floats you both. You have Netflix and Stan and Amazon Prime and whatever else you could want. Everyone has tickets to every BTS concert going around. <laughs> I know you want them. And they're always touring. And so, like, you never have to wait very long for that next concert. That's the picture of abundance in the New Age. Everything you could ever need, everything you could ever want, supplied. Jesus is saying that when he makes all this wine, that he is the one bringing the New Age. That old, barren way of religion, that way that could never properly get you to God, that's going, Jesus is bringing something new. Jesus' first sign says, he will bring... A new age of abundance. Now, when we see this future that Jesus is bringing, it would be crazy of us to ignore it, to just pretend like it wasn't going to happen, to invest ourselves in this current barren age and not in the one to come. Something better is coming, so why would we not invest our time and energy and efforts and resources in that? To choose to invest in now, would be kind of like choosing to invest in VHS tapes. Like, they're, they're old news. They're going. There's no hope in that. Please do not invest in VHS tapes. Or if that's too old for you, it's like trying to invest in headphone jacks. Apple has said, nah, no more headphone jacks. They're dead. Like, it is not a good time to buy wired headphones with the old jack in it. Don't invest in this world. Don't invest... In this empty, barren world. It cannot get you to God, it cannot secure your eternity, instead, invest in what is to come. Invest in the new age, invest in the age of abundance and you'll see huge returns on any investment you make. Invest in what is to come. So, then the next question is, and you may be wondering this, when when will this new age come and, and how will this new age come? What's Jesus going to do to bring this new age? Well, that's what happens in the next section of John chapter 2, that's what Jesus reveals to us there and, he, and Jesus is showing here that the new age comes when Jesus is destroyed and raised. In this section, like we read before, Jesus comes into the temple, sees what's going on and He's furious and He runs everyone out he makes his whip and starts getting rid of everyone who's dishonouring God's home, who's dishonouring God's house, and this causes quite a commotion, as you can imagine. Any one person with a whip trying to herd cattle and sheep probably going to cause some noise. So the religious leaders say, poke their heads around the corner and they're like, oh, what's going on? Let's go find out. So they come up to Jesus and they ask him a question and listen to this question in verse 18. They say, "What sign?" can you show us to prove your authority to do all this? They want a sign. They want a sign to point them to the truth of why Jesus is doing what He's doing, and what right He has to do what He's doing. And Jesus doesn't give them a sign then and there, like He did in the wedding. Instead, He points to a future sign, a sign that Jesus will give them. And we can see that sign in verse 19 to 21. So, if your Bible's open, have a look in verse 19 to 21. Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and I'll raise it again in three days. They replied, it has taken 46 years to build this temple and you're going to raise it in three days? But the temple He spoke of was His body. Jesus says that His destruction and rising back up is the sign. That sign Means that he has authority. His death and resurrection means he has authority in God's house. Now, there's heaps more I could say on this authority, there's stacks more I could draw out from this, but really what I want to do is, I want to show you how these two signs connect together, what links them together, um, because that's going to be really important to help us understand when the New Age comes. And if you're familiar with these other accounts of Jesus in the Bible, in Matthew, Mark and Luke, the three other accounts, This story of Jesus clearing the temple comes right at the end. It comes like in the week before Jesus dies, not right at the start of the book. And so, you have to ask, why has John put it here and not there where everyone else has put it? What's he doing? What's he saying? John puts it right after this wedding, on purpose. He puts it here to show the connection between these two signs. The first sign, an age of abundance, the last sign, Jesus' death and resurrection. Have you ever seen those fold-in comics. I, I used to see these as a kid. I don't know what magazine I saw them in. had to Google them. It took me a while to find one. But here's a Batman one. The kind of idea is, on the left-hand side, there's just a regular comic page. You can have looks, pictures, it's nice, it's exciting. But there's a hidden comic. If you take the right-hand side and fold it into the left-hand side, there's a whole new image. And so, you can see it there on the right. There's like a spotlight with a funny-looking face uh, and Batman and the other dude are just hanging out there. There's like a secret, hidden thing that reveals itself when you put them together. That's what John does here. He takes these two accounts and puts them together, and it shows you something that would otherwise be hidden if they were further apart. John is saying that Jesus brings a new age when he dies and rises again. In fact, Jesus brings a new age by dying and rising again. 1 Corinthians tells us that Jesus is the first fruits of many more who will be raised from the dead, that His resurrection is the first among many. Jesus is the first one to come into this new age and His resurrection is proof that the new age is here and that it's coming and that there's more to come. If we trust in Jesus, then we get the same resurrection He has into the new age. Because the new age comes when Jesus died and rose again. So that's when and how, when Jesus dies and rises again. The real question, the really important question for us to grapple with today and to go home with is, will you listen to these signs? Or will you, just like me all those years ago, ignore the sign? I ignored that coin toss, 15 in a row, can you believe it? I ignored it. According to John, there is a right and wrong response to these signs. At the end of the book of John, John writes a little sentence and says, this is why I've written the book. So, if you want to understand the book of John, you kind of have to look at that sentence and read it and see what he wants to talk about. So, in John chapter 20, verse 30 and 31, uh, which you can see on screen, John writes this, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of His disciples, which are not recorded in this book... But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. John gives us these signs that Jesus does so that we'd believe. So that we'd believe that He is who He claims to be. That we'd believe that we can have life in His name, life in the new age. The opposite of belief is the wrong response, yeah? To not believe is to not get that life. And so, through the whole book, you'll see it stacks as you read from now on, and you just see it and you go, like, Oh, Tim said that, and you'll pick it up. John highlights the right response and the wrong response. He's showing us what is right, what is wrong, and here is no different. In verse 11, look at it with me, you see the response that John highlights. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory. And his disciples believed in him. And he does it again at the end of the temple account, in verse 22. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he said. Then they believed the Scriptures and the words that Jesus had spoken. John says, this is the right response. They believed in Jesus and they believed at what the signs pointed to. This is the response that John wants us to have today, to see the amazing things Jesus does, And then see that they point to something and to believe in that. John wants us to believe that Jesus really is the one bringing this new age and so that belief should shape how we live. What we believe shapes how we live and so like I said before, we don't invest in this old age, we invest in the one to come and if you believe in Jesus, you can be sure your investment is 100% safe. Jesus is risen from the dead and that is all the proof we need to know that this new age is coming. So this gives us confidence to give up what is in this age. It gives us the confidence to know that what we lose now, we will more than gain in what is to come. It gives us the confidence to suffer, to suffer now, to suffer for what we believe, to be made fun of, to be put in dangerous situations for the gospel. Because this new age is an age where there'll be no more suffering, forever. It gives us confidence to endure through hard times. We have hope when we suffer from mental illness or physical illness. We have hope when we struggle financially and we don't know where that next meal is going to come from. None of these struggles exist in that new age because there is an overabundance of everything we could ever need. It gives us confidence to not live this life to its fullest potential. Have you ever thought about that? The New Age means we can give up what we desire now because we're going to get something far better in the New Age. It means that we don't even need the latest gadget. We don't need to travel the world. We don't need to have amazing experiences. These are all really good things and they're good gifts from God and many of us will be able to enjoy some of these things at different times but we don't need them, we don't actually need to have them like the world would have you think because in the new age, there's an overabundance of everything good. Anything you give up now, you will more than make up for it in the new age. You'll be able to live your life to its fullest potential in the new age. How good is it to have confidence of that, have confidence of that now? But there's another kind of belief that John highlights right at the end of chapter 2. Look with me at verse 23 and we'll see it here. Now, while he was in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, many people saw the signs he was performing and believed in his name. That sounds good. But Jesus would not entrust himself to them, for he knew all people. He did not need any testimony about mankind, for He knew what was in each person. So Jesus knew these people, He knew their hearts, He knew what was inside them and what He saw inside them was not a real, true belief, it was some kind of wrong, false belief. Maybe it was belief in just the amazing things Jesus had done. They saw it, they got swept up in it but they didn't see what it was pointing to. They see and they're like, wow, look at this amazing guy at the party, he's sure made a lot of wine, isn't that incredible? And then they go home and live their lives as if nothing ever happened. They don't let what Jesus has done impact them. They miss what Jesus was pointing to, they miss what the sign was meant to reveal, they just see some amazing things. And we can see the result of what this bad belief looks like, because at the end of John, When Jesus is facing the governor of the region, being falsely accused by the Jews, these crowds turn on Jesus. They don't yell, release Him, release Him, we believe in Him. They yell, crucify Him, crucify Him. Their belief has disappeared, it has faded away. This is the kind of response we need to be really careful to guard against. We need to be on guard against this. When you hear about Jesus and the things that He did, Don't think to yourself, wow, that's nice, and then just ignore it. Look at the sign and then look at what he's pointing to. Look at Jesus when he says, I'm bringing that new age, you can believe in me and trust in me. Look at him when he points to his death and resurrection and says, look, this is proof the new age is coming. If you only have a shallow faith, then you won't get that life, then you won't get to the new age. That's the kind of faith that Jesus rejected here in John chapter 2. Don't be amazed at the sign itself, be amazed at what it's pointing to, otherwise your belief isn't the kind of belief that will bring life. So, to finish up, we look at these signs and they're amazing and Jesus is showing us something about Himself in them. Jesus is the one who will bring in the New Age and He has proven it by dying and rising back to life. He invites us into that new age and says, believe in me. Will you believe in Jesus? How I pray? Father God, thank You so much for Your Word to us. Thank You that You have shown Your Son to us and that He's given us these signs and given us these proofs to who He really is. Thank you that you have invited us to this new age, an age of celebration and abundance where we'll never need or want for anything ever again. Help us to truly believe in Jesus as the one who brings this age. Help us to truly believe that as he rose from the dead, he brought this new age with him so that we might have life. Help us not to invest now, but to invest in the age to come. In Jesus' name, Amen.